catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Nick Arbuckle's contract extension. Reggie Bagleton, the bagel man, returning to the stamps. Trevor Harris, starting for the Alouettes, and much, much more. But first, Dunkster, Ryan Dinwiddie said he, quote, totally blew it, end quote, at the end of Toronto's 31-29 victory over BC on Saturday, when he called for the offense to kneel the game out with 44 seconds left, despite the fact that BC still had a timeout. He also suggested that Pop Warner coaches could have handled the end of that game better than he did. Dunk, how shocked were you when the Argos came out in victory formation with 44 seconds left on the clock? (laughs) It was quite a sight, and I am wondering how much more this would have went off if the Argos would have lost that football game. Often, wins mask what's wrong with your team on the field but Dinwiddie must just be thanking the heavens or whatever the heck he believes in <laughs> that the Argos were able to pull it out in overtime because the microscope and dial and hot seat would have been turned up even more full credit though and you mentioned it in terms of his quotes post game he called himself out and he talked to the team after in the locker room apologized to the guys there so own the mistake And he's explained it a little bit. I think still it's hard for people to understand what was going on and what was his thought process and how did he come to that decision. But at least he makes that mistake in a game that's in the regular season and doesn't cost him a win. And I don't think we're going to see the Argos do that in the postseason. At least I hope not. Yeah, and we talked about this on the show last week, right? When a team loses, we tend to blow those errors and those mistakes up and we put them under a microscope. And when it's team wins, we do the opposite, right? We forget all about it. Oh, well, no harm, no foul. They, they still won the game. Like Jimmy Camacho, if he makes a field goal, he was 0 for 3 on the day. If he makes a field goal and he had a 37-yard attempt to win that game for BC, Toronto loses at home and they do not have the two-point cushion in the East Division that they now have. So while, again, we have to acknowledge, of course, they won the game and full points, as you said, to Dinwiddie for acknowledging the mistake. This was almost the biggest and I would argue most catastrophic error a coach has made all season. (laughs) But it doesn't become, in my mind, catastrophic until it costs you a loss, right? Like 
And this could have, right? And you mentioned it. Camacho could have given BC a win. Didn't happen. So it makes it something you can point at and laugh at. And I like the fact that Dinwiddie owned the mistake. I think there would have been a lot of other coaches that would have been much more defensive. We've seen that recently and also in the past. And we got to remember that Dinwiddie is a guy as a head coach that has shown his emotions here, right? Like he's done the DX sign a few times. He's been yelling at the other bench, you know, especially in Hamilton, that epic comeback that they had. He let the fans know about it. So if that's the way you want to go about things, when it goes against you, you at least have to be able to admit that to the players. And I think the fact that he did that should grow that bond within the locker room and between that group of Argos even tighter. And I and I respect that. And I'll also say, watching that unfold, I I for a moment just assumed, okay, I must not be picking up on something here because the last I checked, you cannot kneel a game out with 44 seconds left on the clock. I've seen teams do it where you kneel twice and then you snap the ball on third down and maybe you pitch it 60 yards out of bounds and you kill the clock that way. So I I was just taken aback when it occurred because I'm sitting there going, okay, surely I'm missing something here because there's no way that Ryan Dinwiddie has made this error. Obviously he did. It didn't end up costing them the game, as you said. And again, full credit for taking the blame. But man, that is one of the most wild moments I've seen in the CFL in quite some time, which is saying something because as we all know, the C in CFL stands for two things. That's Canadian and crazy. The crazy football league, even by crazy standards, that was a crazy moment. And honestly, you can see, and you sort of alluded to it, Hodge, maybe what Dinwiddie was thinking, right? I think we should give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here that if you run 20 seconds off before you snap it on second down and third down, you're down to 40. And then maybe within those plays that you've run or that third down, you run around a little bit, but those are always dangerous, right? Especially in a close game. So anyways, he stood up for it. Quite a situation though. The Edmonton Elks have signed quarterback Nick Arbuckle, the recently acquired QB, to a one-year contract extension worth a reported $350,000. Does it make sense to you, Mr. Hodge? I mean, it didn't at first because Arbuckle actually got a raise from what he made in 2021 to what he's going to make in 2022. And I think that raised a lot of eyebrows. I saw a lot of people questioning that on social media after Farhan Lalji reported that number on behalf of TSN. Uh, But what I've since come to learn about the contract is while Arbuckle got a small signing bonus to ink it right now for the remainder of the 2021 season going into 2022, there's actually no guaranteed money in the deal whatsoever for the 2022 season. There is no active roster bonus. There is no report and pass bonus. Uh, He doesn't see any money until the first game of the 2022 season, which means that like all CFL contracts without guaranteed money, it's essentially non-existent, right? A CFL contract is not like an NHL contract that must be honored to the nth degree. A CFL contract isn't even worth the paper that it's written on. And so in the event that Edmondson at the start of training camp, at the end of training camp next season, what have you, wants to redo this deal, they'll be able to do that. And they'll have the leverage to do that because at that point, it's not like another team is going to come on by and put down, let's say 400 grand to sign Nick Arbuckle. It's just not going to happen at the end of a training camp. 
to me, it's really just a public relations move in a sense that you gave up, now that you signed him to the contract, a second round pick for Arbuckle. And we got to put that in context, and I know we talked about it last week on the show, but the Elks gave up more to get Arbuckle than they were able to acquire shipping Trevor Harris off to Montreal. That in and of itself is mind-blowing, but more to the point here with Arbuckle, what it does show, or they're trying to at least show the fans, is that they believe they have a quarterback of the future there. That said, Arbuckle has never played in Jamie Elizondo's offense, right? Trevor Harris had, and we saw how quickly that relationship soured, and multiple people around the league will tell you that it really becomes a game of politics with Jamie Elizondo in terms of where he points the blame. So they did that with Trevor Harris. That's why he was gone. We've seen Elizondo protect and talk about in glowing terms multiple times, James Wilder Jr., and rightfully so. He's having a great season, but the second you don't produce for him, he flips on you the complete opposite way, right? So much so that a guy that was viewed as a franchise quarterback was traded out of town. So some people out there are saying, oh, well, the Elks feel like they have a future starter and a quarterback of the franchise and a guy that could be the face of the franchise one day. Somebody even out there, dare I even say, tried to compare this to Michael Riley. Now, <laughs> I can't understand how that was even in the scope of the thought process, but this is not that. Let's be clear. And let's compare it with the fact that when Harris was shipped out of town, Mr. Hodge, the Elks were raving about Taylor Cornflake Cornelius, and then they went and acquired Arbuckle. So we have no idea how they actually view any of these players because it flips on a dime. Yeah, and kind of like the timeline about Trevor Harris's neck injury and non-injury and pulling himself out of practice and then coming back. Right there, there are more questions than answers uh, that that you know, resonate. Oh, I'll give you an answer. The answer is you cannot believe anything that comes out of the mouth of anyone associated with the front office coaching staff, or even that dare I say that franchise as a whole right now, because you don't know if that's coach speak, GM speak, just talk to make people feel like they're trying to rebuild from this awful season that they have. So I'll give you an answer, Hodge. And that's fair. My, my point is just if you go seeking an answer, you're going to leave with more questions than you had when you started <laughs> because the explanations don't uh, necessarily always line up with a logical way of thinking. Um, the other thing I'll point out, and we should take a break right away, but some people, they criticize the CFL draft or, or they'll say, well, who cares? It's just a pick. Let's keep in mind Edmondson is, barring a miracle, going to finish either last or second to last in the league-wide standings, which means Toronto, for trading Nick Arbuckle, who was a pending free agent and they probably weren't going to re-sign anyways, is now going to get you know, the 11th or 10th overall selection. At that point of the draft, you're going to get a, a really good Canadian who can help you now, or you're going to get an elite Canadian who maybe has an NFL opportunity and you're looking to sign a year or two down the road. So it's a lot to give up, I think. And and Toronto should be credited because they're piling on the picks. They already have, I think, the best Canadian talent in the league, maybe in the certainly in the top three. And these picks are only going to help them add to that. We got to take a quick break. But Dunkster, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Reggie Bagleton. 
Calgary Stampeders have brought back former CFL All-Star Reggie Begleton following his NFL stint with the Green Bay Packers. Dunkster, how much of an impact will he have in that receiving court? Oh, it could be bigger than the size of the biggest bagel you could envision, man. <laughs> this could be absolutely massive for Bo Levi Mitchell and the offense overall. Yes, Kamar Jordan has had a great season. He's been in and out of the lineup, although for the most part, healthy, but Begleton and the connection that Bolivar Mitchell had was just on another level, especially in 2019. Now, to be quite honest, this was a little bit of a surprise to me because I had been tracking Begleton. He was released by the Packers during training camp in August, had one workout with the Buffalo Bills actually fairly recently and drew some positive reviews there. And it seemed like by all accounts, Begleton was focused on another NFL opportunity, but what changed it was for once, and I shouldn't say once, but a rarity, John Huffnagel got off his wallet a little bit, up the offer to Begleton to come back, and also the fact, and I think this is very important, people overseeing this or maybe don't know it, that whenever the Stampeders season ends, Begleton will be free. The Stampeders will let him go back and explore the NFL at that time. So he gets to get in some live game action for the rest of the regular season and however far they go in the playoffs. But instead of having to wait, immediately he will be free or have the ability to go back to the NFL or see what interest might lie there. So I think those are two key factors. Hoffnagel getting off the wallet and the ability to try out the NFL right when the stamp season is over. I think the thing that's held Calgary back the most this season their pass rush needed to improve, and it has in recent weeks in particular, but that receiving core, I think, was holding them back. I don't think their American talent was good enough. Kamar Jordan is one of the league's best when he's healthy, but Kamar Jordan is getting up there in age a little bit, and I think when he's asked to do so much in that offense, it makes it almost impossible for him to stay healthy. So having a guy like Reggie Bagleton come into town to me, this this changes everything about Calgary. To me, this gives them a true number one target. It allows Kamar Jordan to be your number two, and then it takes all the pressure off all the other receivers. I'm not saying they don't have any good receivers outside of those two, but I think it, it makes a circumstance where you can ask a little bit less of those players, which, which I think will only help that team. So I agree with you, Dunkster. I think it's a huge move that could shake up a lot of things in the West Division. The ship may have sailed on Calgary hosting a playoff game. If if the Riders went out, for instance, they'll they'll host the West Final, but or pardon me, the West Semifinal. But I think right now, if the choice is Calgary on the road versus the Riders at home, if they've got Reggie, Reggie Begleton, I'm taking the Stamps in that West Semifinal. Hey, the Stamps have already shown. They can go into Mosaic Stadium and get a win, right? They've Absolutely. done it this season. And... For my money, in terms of challenging the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West, the Stamps are going to be the team to do it. They played them the closest out of anybody except for Toronto, who beat them, obviously, at BMO Field. So they were in the friendly confines of their home stadium, you know, whatever that actually gets you in terms of an advantage because the crowd is so low. <laughs> Anyways, the Bombers at home have been a different beast, but when Jake Mares started, they played them. Hodge, you were there within two points. So now the fact that you come in with... Bolivar Mitchell at least looking better than he did at the start of the year. Reggie Begleton, Trey Roberson, 
and dare I say, the rejuvenation, or maybe I shouldn't even say that, but the continuation of Sean Lemon getting after the passer, and their defense has continually and steadily, I believe, played at a championship-type level. Like, that Stamps defense under Brett Monson has been underrated because everyone's been so focused on the offense and the issues with Bully by Mitchell. But Calgary, I think, is a little bit kind of lying in the weeds here. All right, let's go all the way out east. Trevor Harris will start for the Montreal Alouettes this week when they take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as Matt Schultz is out with a knee injury. What are your expectations for Harris in his first start in La Belle Provence? Well, I'll start by saying this. I was at the game at IG Field where Trevor Harris showed up with the Elks first week of October, completed 9 of 22 passes for 87 yards, looked awful, and his receivers, to Harris's credit, weren't any better. A bunch of drop balls. But I remember that moment as being basically, I, oh, I shouldn't say the beginning of the end. It was really the end of the end for Harris in Edmonton. And uh, obviously we know he was <laughs> traded away. What I did not anticipate is that literally one month later, almost to the day, he's coming back to IG Field. So I'm excited for Harris in that he gets another crack at the Bombers' defense. The Bombers' defense statistically has been by far and away the best in the CFL all season. So I'm excited for Harris to get the opportunity to play that defense again, but with a new group of receivers, a new scheme, to to give him the opportunity to, sh- to prove that he is still a top-tier CFL quarterback because this is a guy who's had a tremendous amount of success in the past. Yes, he's 35, but I'm excited to see what he can do. I think Matthew Schultz did a lot of good things, particularly in his first two starts, but I want to see what Trevor Harris can do because this is an opportunity for him, whether it's in Montreal or not in 2022, to almost audition for a starting role elsewhere in the CFL. It really is, and he's going to be highly motivated, and you mentioned it. And I think more of what happened with Harris in Edmonton was about the culture there because we've seen multiple players come away from there and not be happy with how they were treated, let's say. You know, obviously Kenny Stafford comes to mind right away, but I think there was a number of other players that would say the same, and there's probably even a lot in that locker room now that would agree. So I don't think we can always put it on performance because – We can't think of these guys as robots as much as we want to operate that way. And, you know, from a betting and fantasy standpoint, we just feel like it's a name and you plug it in there. But they're not. So I think last week what we saw with Harris at the end of the game, and I argue that if he wasn't in the game earlier, you know, they might have won that football game against the Rough Riders. That said, now he gets a start and a full slate. And you touched on it a little bit, Hodge. With that receiving core, you know, Geno Lewis, Jake Wieneke, Quan Bray, B.J. Cunningham, all the guys that are there, and then William Stan back in the backfield, and yes, he had James Wilder Jr., but I just think that offense in terms of how it's run under Kahari Jones and the energy that Jones brings is completely, not even a 180, like it's just a totally different stratosphere in terms of how Jones creates his locker room atmosphere and presence to what Jamie Elizondo has done in terms of calling out players. So if you can imagine Elizondo calling out players publicly, imagine how he's treating them behind the scenes. Jones does not do that. He's a real high energy guy. We see him dancing before games. So I'm super curious to see Harris for a full start. Now it's his first one, so he's not going to be perfect, right, in new offense, still learning some things. But I'm really intrigued to see Harris 
get this jump and, as you mentioned, be back in Winnipeg and compare it to when he was last there with Edmonton. Yeah, and I'll say this. We should move on, but nobody seems to talk about Geno Lewis. Last I checked, he's leading the entire CFL in receiving yards. It's a pity he doesn't get more attention because if he was playing in Saskatchewan, half the babies born this year would be named Eugene or Geno. Dunkster, Paul Apolis <laughs> told TSN 1200 that he is not interested in adding the role of general manager to his existing head coach title. Do you believe that? Um, how do I put this politely? I do not <laughs> because I believe what was going on behind the scenes. Not only do I believe, I know what was going on behind the scenes is a power play nearly from day one when Lapolis showed up in Ottawa. And yeah, you know, he said some complimentary things about Marcel Desjardins, but Lapolis wanted the roster for the most part that is currently in place. There were things that Desjardins and the front office wanted to do to try to improve the team, especially for 2021. We've talked about it. Our boy Santino Filoso, who covers that team so well for us, he's pointed it out as well from his sourcing that there were additions that they were wanting to make, especially to help out the offense. But Lapolis felt like his scheme was better than actual talent. So to me, yes. Does he want the general manager title in name? Maybe not. But when you're the coach that's already there, already entrenched with President Mark Gowdy and the ownership, and you have two more years on your contract, then you are certainly going to have a say over not only the GM who's put in place, I think there's probably a better shot than not that it's interim GM Jeremy Snyder because we've seen him already chipping away with the re-signings that he's made, Devontae Dedman and Richie Leone to start that it could be him, but Lapolice is going to have a say over the talent that's brought in and, of course, the game day roster. So, in a way, he kind of already had some of those duties on his plate because he got what he wanted, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'll say this too. I mean, if, if anybody's boss approached them and said, hey, would you like more power to be successful in your job and additional pay? <laughs> I don't think many people in any industry would look at that opportunity and say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm I'm good exactly where I'm at. I, I don't want more power or more money, um, especially for somebody like Paul Apolise, who's been in pro football for, for 20 some years. So I don't believe it. Uh, but I think what this does do is rule out the possibility of him taking both roles, which has been somewhat of an area of speculation, somewhat of an area of chatter since he took the head coaching job there. Because I do believe, as you said, Dunkster, he has always had an interest, at least to some extent, in playing key or at least a key role in personnel decisions. So I do I believe Paul Apolis? Like you know I don't, uh, but I think this does provide some insight <laughs> into what the future holds in Ottawa. Apparently not a head coach GM, Paul Apolis. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Out in your neck of the woods, Hodge, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have nothing to play for in the standings over there three remaining home games, how much should they play their stars over the next month or so as they prepare for the West Final on December 5th? Well, Mike O'Shea was asked about this on Tuesday and said that the club has had internal discussions about it, but predictably said that uh, he would not share any of those with the media, which anybody who's familiar with Mike O'Shea will say, 
Of course, obviously he said that. So I'm going to speculate, Dugster, because Mike O'Shea, he's, he's not talking about it publicly. Um, if it were me, I would personally give half a game to Zach Kolaris this week against Montreal. I'd give him half a game the following week against Montreal, and then I would send Sean McGuire to start in Calgary in the final week of the season. I would not play Andrew Harris the rest of the way. I'd let him finish his stint. Uh, on the six-game injured list, and I would make my other decisions, you know, guys like Willie Jefferson, uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, similarly to Kolaris. The issue with Kolaris playing potential half games is you're obviously not playing Zach Kolaris without players like Stanley Bryant and Drew Desjardins along the offensive line. You're not playing Zach Kolaris without, you know, his receiving core. So, there are other personnel decisions that go into who's playing quarterback because you're obviously not putting out your franchise QB behind a second or third string left tackle. But that's what I would do, Dunkster, because at the end of the day, this team has nothing to play for until December 5th. Yeah, obviously the premium is staying healthy, and I hate the discussion of rust versus rest overall. It's way too cliche, and I just don't believe in it from the sense of you're a player, when games and the lights turn on and the ball kicks off, you are paid to play and win, especially in the playoffs, right? There's a bonus, a bigger bonus for the winning team, and obviously everybody wants to hoist that cup. So I just hate any of that talk about it. And I think the Bombers are a little different than some other teams just with the way that they have created that locker room atmosphere, you know, mostly done by Mike O'Shea and the way that the players trust him. So I think whatever they do, will probably be prudent and it will have been discussed with the players and play to their strengths and maybe even play to their wants a little bit of you know how much do they want to play versus how much do they feel they need to rest. I agree with you. Andrew Harris should just make sure he's 100% for the West Final. He's proven he can come back from an injury right away and be productive instantly. So I'm not so much worried about it as I would be with other teams if they had this dilemma. And I think, you know, the Bombers are a deep enough group anyways that they probably can stack some wins together and keep that winning mentality going. Because I think ultimately, above all, that's the key. That you still want to win football games and keep that level high. Get rid of the rest versus rust talk. It's about winning. And I don't care when you play, when you strap them up, who is in there. The Bombers are going to, I believe, want to continue to show that they can get it done. And something that O'Shea touched on that I'd admittedly forgotten about was last season they had a bye the final week of the regular season. So they didn't play uh, the week before they played the West semifinal in Calgary, which did not have them showing any signs of rust. They came out of a cannon in that game and played extremely well. So they've shown in the past that a week off has not held them back. Obviously, this is a little different being a longer period of time. But the other thing I'll say before the break, Dunkster, we have a full list on the site right now of all the quarterbacks who are pending free agents for 2022. One of them is Sean McGuire. We haven't seen a lot from him. And if I'm the Bombers, I really want to see what he can do as a starter. Because if he falls on his face, 
you need to know that you're going to need a new backup for next season. And if he does great, you need to be aware that somebody else might be trying to court him to potentially be a starter or at least be closer to a starting role than he is in Winnipeg, where Zach Kolaris is obviously firmly entrenched at this point as the starter. So I do think that there's value in playing Sean McGuire outside of simply protecting Zach Kolaris. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Bowl. On this day in 2012, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defeated the Montreal Alouettes 19-11 in the final CFL game ever played at Canada Inn Stadium. Originally dubbed Winnipeg Stadium, the building had served as a home for the Blue Bombers since 1953, hosting three Grey Cups in 1991, 1998, and 2006. The venue was initially set to close following the 2011 season, but remained open for 2012 due to to delays in the construction of its replacement, IG Field. The city of Winnipeg began demolition of the venue in April 2013 and has since redeveloped some of the land into retail space. Dunkster, I grew up attending games at Canadian Stadium. I told myself for years, the moment this place is demolished, I'm going to be a happy man because that building was a dump. But I will admit, it's been gone for almost 10 years. I do actually miss it. <laughs> There's got to be some charm to the old buildings, right? It's like Ivorwind Stadium in Hamilton, right? It had the bench seating. People complained about it. But there's so much history with it that even though you got the new shiny toy, it's just not quite the same. And if you've got a new shiny toy as a vehicle, make sure you take it to Jiffy Lube to get it winterized. Winter's coming. I live on the prairies. It's already getting cold here. Make sure that Jiffy Lube (laughs) takes care of your vehicle, gets it ready for the harsh, harsh winters that we have here from coast to coast. Get it done with Jiffy Lube. They'll get you in. They'll get you out in a Jiffy. Great service every time for this very key time of year for your vehicle. Indeed, dude. I've been going all around the country calling these university games, and you're right. Like, depends on, obviously, the city that you're in and how fortunate you get with the weather. But wherever you're on the road, Jiffy Lube is across the country. They'll get you primed and ready to deal with that winter season. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Riders punter John Ryan is expected to miss the rest of the season with an ankle injury that appears worse than the team originally anticipated. Is that a big deal? Could be. I mean, it seems like they're going to lean on the global kicker who has been in the NFL, admittedly, admittedly, Corey Vedvik. But it was surprising to see that the diagnosis came out even longer than was initially stated, although that's why they double-checked these things. The CFL granted Winnipeg's request to change the time of the West final to help avoid overlap with the Jets. Does that even make sense? I think it does. The Jets pushed their, their ice time back an hour for that day, that game. Now the West Finals moved up 30 minutes and allows Winnipeg sports fans to get to both games. Canadian running back Chuba Hubbard ran for his second career NFL touchdown in Week 8 in a win over Atlanta. He now has 391 rushing yards and two scores as a rookie. Dunkster, your thoughts? Admittedly, he's been solid but unspectacular. We haven't seen those big chunk yardage runs like we saw at Oklahoma State when he was in the Heisman discussion, although 
I feel like those are still to come. Christian McCaffrey looks like he's on the mend, though, and might take back that starting role, but Hubbard off to a good start in the NFL. Former CFL MLP Willard Reeves planning to run for an MLA position vacated by the former Premier of Manitoba. Odds your face out there. Think he'll win? Well, the Manitoba Liberal Party hasn't even been the official opposition, I think, since something like 1970. Not a strong party here, but if anybody can get them over the hill, it's Willard Reeves. Bolivai Mitchell reached 30,000 career passing yards this past week in a win over Ottawa. At 31, has Bo already done enough to earn his place in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? No doubt. I'm not a voter for it, but he would be in there if he ended his career today or tomorrow or at the end of the season or whatever it ends. He, you know, arguably... With his win-loss record, if he keeps stacking a couple more great cups on there, could be a first ballot guy. No, that's ultra rare, and you've done the research there. But in my mind, that's what we're talking about with Bully by Mitchell. Dallas Cowboys Canadian defensive tackle Neville Gallimore flipped his NHL allegiance from the Ottawa Senators, his hometown team, to the Dallas Stars. How can you even do this in this day and age and think that you're not going to get called out on social media? I'll say this. If you're going to dump any NHL team, at least he's dumping the Senators. Like, let's give them that. The Senators are, are garbage. Ottawa Red Blacks offensive lineman Jacob Zott dressed up as position coach Bob Wiley for Halloween. Is that the best costume you saw this year? Ooh, probably in the CFL, but one of my colleagues out west, Daniela Ponticelli, recreated her interview, the bloody one, with Regina Rams QB Sawyer Bittner using her dog. I thought it was creative and relevant based on what happened recently. So well done. Brampton native Josh Palmer caught his first career NFL touchdown pass for Los Angeles Superchargers this past week. Did you see how sweet that catch was? My goodness, over two Patriots defenders. Yeah, double coverage along the sideline. If you're going to make your first NFL you know, touchdown catch, you may as well do it in style. Palmer definitely did that. The Argos have signed 2019 CFL Most Outstanding Rookie Nate Hawley. Is he a good fit there? He could be, but it seems like we made a big deal of when they signed Diggs, when he was cut by Edmonton. So I'm curious to see how actually long this lasts. Although that said, if he's coming back from the NFL, it probably means that the Argos mean business and want him to be there for a while. Canadian O-lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif was traded to the New York Jets at the NFL trade deadline, ending his eight-year run with the Kansas City Chiefs, the team that drafted him out of McGill University. Was that a surprise to you, Hutch? It was, and I'll say this. If you ever question how much of a class act Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is, read his reaction to the trade on Twitter was nothing but gracious because I know if it was me, Dunkster, if somebody traded me to the New York Jets, I would burn their training staff building to the ground. <laughs> I would I would be irate. This is the New York Jets we're talking about. And he was so classy, so gracious. Well done, Dr. Duvernay Tardif. I would not have had your same elegance and grace in that moment. Well done. On that note, we leave you for another week. As always, he's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. We'll be back with you next Wednesday for another episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... 
yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.